Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Chris Rosini, our co-host. Chris, welcome to the program. It's great to be with you, Dr. Paul. Very good. You know, today we're going to talk a little bit about political parties and the chaos in Washington, what the founders thought about political parties and this sort of thing, which is pretty important. But if you just look at the general conditions today, they're not in very good shape. So there's some, there must have been some shortcomings in the Constitution or shortcomings in the people who are supposed to maintain the Constitution and follow the, the Constitution. And uh, I think there, there are certain things that uh, uh, we could talk about in that problem. I see the whole mess coming from a contest between authoritarianism and those of us who are defending liberty. And it's that general category that I like to use rather than, you know, specific things and, and, and chop it up into about 40 different pieces and put it into, and then put it back together in a political system. But uh, the, the, there is an ongoing struggle, and it's major because I think it's measured uh, so much of the argument that's going on is uh, what the debt is doing. Uh, are they working things out and paying the bills and protecting liberty? And I would say it's failing. It's failing drastically. So this is, uh, this is the reason why it's interesting to sort of look uh, at what the founders wanted and, uh, and what to expect. But we, we have a, a mess now. It's economics. I think there's bankruptcy financially, bankruptcy in the moral system as, as well as what's going on in Washington. The judicial system is a good example of immorality. People are getting scared. They're very concerned. What are we doing? And what's, what's the matter? And some of them resort to the old thing that's been going on ever since the founding of the country. Oh, the government will take care of that. It's going to take our government. And if they're not doing it, we'll talk them into it. And uh, they've been doing that for a long time. And uh, now, really, I see the, the end of that coming because of the uh, bankruptcy. But there's a lot of good people trying to, uh, you know, compensate for this and, uh, and you know, be prepared. And that, that is a, a job. They, they are survivalists in many ways because runaway inflation and runaway government, intrusion on liberties, all the things that we complain about uh, in, uh, on this program. Uh, is still there and what, what are we going to do and I have uh, you know taken the position that things are going to get worse and it's up to us to start preparing you know the uh, answer to the problems that we have and that's that is a really a, a, a job because uh, you know uh, getting getting Congress to quit spending is no easy task but I think people should be prepared and there should and people talk about surviving and i think there's some truth to that i mean if you lived in uh, the inner cities of cincinnati or, or or the big cities right now surviving might be on your mind every single minute of the day and it doesn't seem like there's any answers there so i think the survival thing is is one thing i think all of us have personal responsibilities to take care of ourselves and be prepared physically and mentally and financially if we can. And uh, also uh, working with uh, your family and having family uh, uh, coordination and friends and people who understand the system uh, as you do. And this, I think, at least prepares people for maybe planning and preparing and acting in, a, in, a, in an orderly fashion, you know, when this major crisis uh, really hits. And this is uh, something that's going on. But a lot of people say, well, 
Yeah, you say you talk about financial protection. Yes, and I, I strongly believe in it. I really became a strong believer back in 1971 when our government said, we're bankrupt, we can't honor our commitment. You know, yes, we print dollars and we run things and, and uh, people are accepting them. And, uh, and we kept doing that from World War II up to 71. It finally, we had to throw in the towel because we wanted to maintain a little bit of gold before we give it away. And that, uh, that made me think, how do you survive under these conditions? Although I had studied and worked on the idea of the universality of uh, the metals for protection of, on bad times, uh, it was something that was difficult back then because it was illegal to own gold. But it was certainly a time when I concentrated on the financial aspect of trying to prepare for bad times by, by, by investing and being involved in, in the precious metals and uh, encouraging other people to do this. And of course, trying to get people to understand philosophically and morally why it's important to know exactly what's going on with the Federal Reserve. Now that's a job, job and a half. And uh, we, we've, uh, we've done this and right now uh, things, are, things are tough. You hear a lot of ads in the radio and television. You see what's going on. You see the poverty in spite of, in the midst of the tr trillionaires that exist that seem to have, uh, you know, ironically accumulated huge amounts of wealth and the poor keep numbering even though the argument by our government is we got to take care of the people who need the help. And, and look at the mess we have. So I think this is one reason why uh, looking at this, I think investing and understanding and studying the value of precious metals is very important. This is also the reason why I partner with uh, Birch Gold Group because uh, they're specialists in this and <clears throat> they advise and help people to get invested in the metals uh, industry, to have some protection and, and wealth. I, I do, and I've been doing it for years and years, and, uh, and yet I, I think that's valuable, and uh, I continue to do it because I think we're getting closer to this real calamity. But the truth is, uh, <clears throat> under bad circumstances, they might, they might be thinking like Roosevelt did. Yeah, it's really bad in depression, so I think we'll take all the gold from the American people. So yes, having it and knowing about it is good, but you know, that means there's one higher level of what we should do for survival, and that is understand and get in the struggle for protecting our liberties, and I think that is so important. Now, if you wanna follow up from this little conversation here about the need to know something about the metals, uh, the Birch Group can send you some material. And all you need to do is text 989898, and that is Ron, 989898, and they'll send you some material and, uh, and, and let you know how and what can be done because it's, it's not as simple as it looks and should be because when, uh, in 1971, you know, I said, yeah, I go to go, I go, well, you can't buy it, it's illegal. It had been illegal since uh, the 1930s. So I, th I think this is a very wise thing. So once again, if you'd like to get some more information from the Birch Gold Group, uh, text RON 989898, and they will send you some materials. There'll be no charge for it. And Chris, I want to go ahead and talk a little bit more about how we got where we are because there's talk now 
about uh, do, we, do we have a uniparty? You know, I've talked a whole lot about uh, you know coalitions bringing people together, and you hear it incessantly in Washington. Where's the coalition bringing people together? Where, when will the uh, progressives who had some some principles? should sacrifice their principles to a degree, and some conservatives who will sacrifice some of their principles on privacy and on the war issue, and bring these people together in the middle, and that'll solve all the problems. Well, I think it's that attitude that's made things much, much worse, is the sacrifice of liberty to bring back people together and trying to solve these problems. And matter, matter of fact, the issue uh, is, is made to be you know, the political parties, if the Democrats would do what we tell them, you know, they would do ABC. If the Republicans would do this, it'd all be all right. And I guess what? If you study it carefully, you'll find out uh, there's a, a lot of similarity between the two on what they defend. And people don't like to hear it. But uh, Republicans waste a lot of money and run up the debt, too. And uh, that sort of thing. And how, how many people are really right now campaigning harder? If, we, if you think the spending is out of control, why don't we just get rid of the Fed, or at least audit the Fed, and find out you just can't print money out of thin air? Because that's counterfeiting. Because the counterfeiter, the counterfeiter stays in business until he gets caught, and he's accused of the corruption. Right now, uh, that corruption has become noticeable, and people are just wondering what to do. So there's a lot of things that might happen, but I don't think that, uh, you know, just this concept that, well, what we need is, uh, you know, a, a unit party and just everybody come together and be one, one big happy group. I don't think it's going to work out quite like that. Chris? Right, Dr. Paul. And uh, an article from our friend Jordan Schachtel this week caught our attention. Uh, for those of you out there... He's well worth the read. He's a great investigative journalist. He, uh, you could tell he seeks the truth. He spoke at our Houston conference this year. So he writes at the dossier, and he's talking about the two parties, how they're both the source of our problems. And he's right. You know, they're both bad on war, welfare, spending, COVID, all the big stuff. The two parties are together, you know, and they can bicker about social issues on TV. They're very animated. So emotions are involved, you know, AOC is very animated on the right. They have very, you know, so emotions are involved and you have this big fight on television. But they all stay. It's like they're at a bowling alley when they put bumpers on the lane. You know, they have to stay in the lane when it comes to the big stuff. Wars, welfare, spending. They are together with the exception of very few. And when they're out of power, when Republicans are out of power, they, they're like little lambs. You know, they're for limited government. They're going to cut your taxes. They're going to stop all this spending. This is going back decade after decade after decade. They just repeat themselves. And when they're in, they grow government like a weed. You know, they, they outspend the Democrats often. They, they run up deficits and debts. But the Democrats are just as bad. When they're out of power, oh, they're anti-war, civil liberties, anti oh, they hate big corporations. Boy, they hate those big corporations. They're for the workers. But when they're in power, they're the exact opposite. Look who's championing the Ukraine war. It's the left with COVID and the war. It's the big corporations that clean up and get rich on the left. You know, during COVID, the workers, they were getting thrown out. Uh, their businesses are getting closed if they didn't get a big corporation jab that ended up not working. And then what they did to the children for, with the masks. So, you know, do you see what happens when they're in power? 
It's like a sport that they've created. You cheer when you're out of power, and when you're in power, you're not allowed to criticize anything. And this is a perfect system that has just taken everybody's liberty away and grown the power of the state. Very good. You know, uh, the founders had a strong opinion about just how government should run, and they tried to limit it. And most of them uh, sort of endorsed in principle uh, the uh, restraint on political parties. Some of them just didn't like political parties and saw some of the disadvantages of it. And some even predicted that it would lead to chaos, which we're having today. But but uh, guess, guess what year they started having political parties? I think it was 1787. They were still writing the Constitution, you know. And uh, and they and they they've decided that right why right away what were the what were the divisions, the Federalists against the Anti-Federalists. Uh, they there were two factions. So it seems like when you deal with government. And you deal with government doing anything, pretending to help us or pretending to fight wars and all these things, there's going to be different opinion. And they fall into competition and they end up, uh, you know, essentially making political parties. But I think the Federalists versus the Anti-Federalists were, were basically, you know, po political parties that immediately saw they had to band together to try to get what they want. And at that time, uh, from an article I read recently, the, the Anti-Federalists were deeply concerned about the theoretical danger of a strong central government. Yeah, that's good. Like that of Britain. That someday could usurp the rights of the states. The framers of the Constitution did not want or expect political parties to emerge because they considered them divisive. Well, I, I think that's pretty much true, but I think it's also true that maybe the founders were a little bit overly hopeful, maybe a little bit naive that uh, it wouldn't develop. Something like the factions and political parties uh, would develop. And I think Schachtel's article is making the point, that, yeah, there's parties, but what difference does it make? And of course, I've talked about that a long time. You know, two parties come together and they're on the big issues, they're, they're together. You know, when it comes to monetary policy, foreign policy, social policy, all, all of those things, they, they come together. So they make a uniparty, and yet the people don't realize that because about uh, most of the concerns people have now is the divisiveness up there and the, the political parties, you know, uh, fighting with each other. But I think that's, for, that's, that's just for uh, decoration. That's not the real thing that's happened because I think what's happening behind the scenes is the people who pull the strings, pull the strings on spending and monetary policy, wars and, uh, and all these things. And, and actually... <clears throat> Getting the people to think about that, think about Ukraine and Vietnam and the Middle East, they won't come and start thinking about <clears throat> what, what they're doing to the American people. And that's where the, that's where the real problem is, is that uh, here, here at home, the fighting and scheming means that uh, what their goals are going to be met by trying to get hold of power, 
because it's up for grabs and trying to get up more money and certainly that's up for grabs when you think of uh, uh, you know the uh, uh, the independence uh, the people the pharmaceutical industry the uh, the pro weaponry industry the military industrial complex they're all maneuvering for power and control and manipulation of our foreign policy so it does exist there's no doubt about it and it's not uh, it's not easy to say that oh yes yeah, so and so did this and that's what we have to do we get rid of that and write a law no I think it's the nature of government to have this natural sense of divisiveness because the government's there to sort out the loot even at the beginning if this was the case you know there were arguments at the beginning how are we going to control the government so the federalists and the anti-federalists got together hamilton and jefferson they didn't do too well together and uh, they had big issues and they were they talked about central banking and it turns out to be a big issue but you no know, that, that, that has been pushed aside and i think that we have to talk more about uh how do you protect liberty under the conditions where government is continually growing? And I think it's practically uh, uh, diff difficult and, and maybe impossible because as soon as the government gets the strings of power of divvying up the loot and when it's extreme like in a Soviet or Nazi system, they control everything. And that's what we're working toward. And, uh, you know, the uniparty, uh, the coalitions, it won't work. The only coalition I believe in is the people who will stand on principle saying our goals in the political life in the defense of our country is to protect and understand personal liberty because that is where the productivity is and that's where peace can be found. Chris? Excellent, Dr. Paul. Yes. Power uh, operates the same way, you know, whether it's 2,000 years ago with the Roman Empire or the British Empire or the U.S. Empire, it's all the same on how they operate. You can't control everyone. So what they do is they want to consolidate power. And then you direct the few that hold the real, you know, real power out of that consolidation. So think about what happened with COVID. How is it possible that doctors in all 50 states from pediatricians to all these family doctors, how did they all get, get it wrong on COVID, on the jabs? That seems impossible that they could all get it wrong. Now, there were a few that didn't get it wrong, but they were silenced, they lost their licenses, they, lost, they were uh, censored, and, and they're taken care of. But everybody else was wrong. So the only way that that happens is when you have a consolidation of power and everybody looks up. So the pediatricians say, hey, uh, the CDC, I'm just saying what the CDC tells me to say. The FDA, the AMA, and that's how it trickles down. So every doctor was not controlled during that disaster, but they look up to who's above them. Their job is safe because they're doing what they're told, and that's that, and everybody was wrong. So it's the same thing with geopolitics. Empires, they seek to consolidate countries into a group and then control the, the, the main levers of power, and that's how it is in our Congress. The deep state, uniparty, whatever you want to call them, they don't control every single member. There's a handful of libertarian types in there. There's a handful of communist types, but they are nowhere near the leadership. You know, the, the leadership is controlled. And, and, and in essence, that's how uh, uh, the rest of Congress goes along. So what we need, the lesson in all of this, since power always works this way, is we need decentralization. We don't need these big power centers. They're a disaster. 
COVID is a perfect example. It would be totally impossible for every doctor in this country to get it wrong if we had a decentralized medical system. But right now it's centralized and they're all just taking orders. So it's the same thing with our liberties. We need to decentralize power as far down as possible with the ideal being to the individual, which is probably not possible, but that's the ideal. So that's the lesson in the power versus liberty uh, you know, battle that goes on through, through time. You know, there's bound to be somebody there uh, looking to be the arbiter and passing out the loot. And uh, that's certainly what uh, Chris is alluding to, that who's going to do that and what kind of leadership will be. So uh, I think that uh, when you have the bigger the government, the more loot there is to distribute and the more incentive there is to have this divisiveness and this pretense. Because I think the uh, argument between the parties is mostly, mostly there to uh, distract people from the real issues of what, what's happening behind the scenes. And uh, the uh, leadership, you know, under today's circumstances is maintained by force and, uh, and lying uh, and, and uh, the, the many things that they do and control and how the money is spent and, and using like a Department of Justice now to punish one side versus the other. I mean, it's really in bad shape. But, uh, and they have a lot of influence. Chris points out there's, the leadership is a big deal. Each, each uh, marching individual in these groups, they, they go along and that's, that's the problem. But, but the leadership is, is a big deal. But the answer to it is leadership too. Because if you want to combat, let's say we have total collapse of our system and uh, the remnant uh, grows influential enough to get a message out on what we should do to rebuild it. So there has to be leadership there. There has to be somebody who said, well, yeah, you guys warned us that this monetary system was going to break down and we didn't like the Fed either, but what are you going to do about it? And I think that's that's the job of the leadership of the people who don't want to use violence and guns to force the redistribution of wealth that they themselves created because they get to rake, rake their share off the top. But I think that is, is the difference. And I think that one thing that we promote here at the Liberty Report is to emphasize the tremendous benefits of free markets and volunteerism. And uh, under those circumstances, there is more prosperity. There's no need. So once you start this, this is an argument where some people say, Ron, I think you're making the argument for anarchy. I said, well, I think we're seeing it uh, in some ways a little bit of an episode of anarchy when, when you look at the inner cities. So it's not that type of anarchy, but limited government where people know there's a sharp line. And I think that Bastiak gives us where to draw that sharp line means we'd get rid of about 85% of what the government does. And that is if you or I can't go out and take something from our neighbor because they have more of it than we do and we think we deserve it or we think our next door neighbor wants it so we'll go and take it from our other neighbor because we want to help out and be a humanitarian. Uh, as long as that is existing, uh, they, <clears throat> what they do, most people know as an individual, you and I can't do that. People say, hey, that is stealing. You don't have a right to go into somebody's house. Except if you're the government, 
If you're the government agent, they can come in for anything. They, you, they might be against homeschooling or something. They might be, uh, they might be against uh, anything at all, and they will come in. They might think you have a gun and all these things. So they go in and redistribute wealth. And <clears throat> so they say, well, most people are, understand morality well enough. You know, that would be theft. But send it to the government. The government, well, if you tell these people who like this idea, you say, well, I, I think it's wrong to take stuff by force. And I said, they say, what do you mean? Uh, we're not stealing it. We're not going in. Yeah, but you're sending a congressman in. To, and they pass a law and they go in and they have the guns of the IRS to take it out, take whatever they want. So the morality is the same. And that's what people have to understand because the repair of this system is going to take a, a tremendous philosophic revolution to get people to understand that uh, your right to your life does not give you a right to steal the rights of others. Chris? Very good, Dr. Paul. I'll finish up with my closing thoughts. Uh, yeah, uh, change will eventually happen. Uh, but we shouldn't expect it, and unfortunately this is what people do expect. They expect it to come from the government itself, whereas it's the opposite. It happens first with a change in attitudes of the people. Uh, when the people are comfortable enough, they will deal with all types of tyranny. You know, we're obviously comfortable enough in America to deal with the unprecedented stuff that happened over the last few years. Uh, governments have known this for thousands of years. As long as you have plenty of food and plenty of entertainment, and America is, has plenty of food, even though it's getting much more expensive, and there is an endless amount of entertainment, uh, you know, the people will put up with a lot. But the, the, the thing about this and why this story always changes back and forth is the people want more, who are in power, they always want more of it, and they eventually make things uncomfortable for the people. Discomfort sets in, and then attitudes start to change. And that's when it starts to filter up to the government. You know, uh, they're, they're starting, especially on the Republican side, to go against this Ukraine funding, Ukraine funding. I don't believe that they've had a change of heart. It's that the American people are paying tons to just survive, and all this money is going, you know, being wasted in Ukraine. So they, the, the Congress, they keep their ear to the ground, and if their people are getting upset, they care about their jobs first and foremost. So they'll now start to be against the Ukraine funding, you know, so that it ultimately starts with the people and filters up to the government. Uh, they never want to get rid of their power, lessen it. They always want more, but the people have to ultimately be the be the check on that. Chris, wonderful. I want to talk a little bit more about the coalition and coming together with people who have disagreements. <clears throat> <clears throat> but I think the disagreements are, are uh, developed and produced by the government making all the rules and redistributing wealth and doing what they shouldn't do, getting involved in wars that are controversial and the people have to pay the bills and all the kind of things that we're suffering uh, from now. But uh, what I'm talking about bringing people together is not to bring them together to use the force and divvy up the use of force. It's to come together with a philosophy uh, of, uh, of uh, voluntarism and, a, and, and working in a coalition. It's bring, bring, bring people together that are nonviolent and they're not going to do that. I don't think anybody should be talking about sacrificing ABC 
in order for another group to suffer BDE or something else. And they're going to come together and say, well, I gave up this, I gave up this. Uh, that, that doesn't work. And some people think that's, that's much better than people coming together. Okay, we're going to take $10 billion here and you get $10 billion here for your special interest. Well, eventually the economics of that will break down. But the, the other thing is, is people come, when they come together, uh, if it's a philosophic thing and it endorses nonviolence, if it endorses voluntarism. But the magnificent thing about all this is if you care, and everybody will care, even those people who now are suffering in the streets, it's just think of the millions of people that are, are truly in need by, by other governments and our own government creating this uh, monster of a problem on our borders. And it's... It's, it's not so unnecessary. There's so much aggressiveness and uh, the violence of the fraud of bad money and, and interventionism. And yet the voluntary approach and sound money, the little bit that's been tested throughout history has been magnificent. And it has certainly been very good for us in this country, but we're slowly undermining and taking all our savings and consuming it because we're living on borrowed wealth and that's why one of the most important number that I look at every day to measure and anticipate what's coming is the national debt. Oh, and people say that's so boring. You know, nobody cares about that anymore. $33 trillion. That's all right. We'll just print the money. It seems to work pretty well. But no, that's consumption and the destruction of our wealth, destroying the value of money. And this is why if we get the ideas right and bring it together, it would solve so many of these problems. And yet the people say, oh, no, that's too much, too close to anarchy. No, it's, it's, it's close to allowing people to live their own lives as they like, realizing that peace and prosperity is more available under those conditions than any other system. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.